Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The university student at uh, Simon Fraser University in British Columbia called in as we were talking about high school um, graduation and graduates of high schools. So actually graduates of the public school system, so primary and secondary. And whether or not when you graduate from high school, you actually have a founding, you have an educational base to work forward from. To help you if you choose to go into the work world, if you choose to go into trades, if you choose to go to college or university, do you get the fundamental grounding from your high school and and elementary um, education. So we talked about that with Michael Swagster, a Manitoba High School teacher, senior fellow at the Fraser Institute, op-ed writer, author of books including What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. And uh, Michael had just done a study for the Fraser Institute, you may recall, on standardized testing. So I opened up the phone lines and uh, we started to hear from parents, students, and, you know, I will never forget doing a show on this issue some years ago, and um, a student called in and said, I can't really even read my graduation certificate. I'm functionally illiterate. But he graduated. Because they also have something known as social promotion, and you know how that works. You don't understand what you're supposed to have learned in a particular school year, but they move you into the next grade anyway. So what you're supposed to have learned, which should lead you into the next year, is lost on you. So what happens? You get lost. Happens all too often. And I've talked to so many parents over the years who've tried to get their kids to repeat a grade, and they have to fight the teachers, they fight the school administration, they fight the school board, and only if they absolutely, with total determination, dig in their heels, do their kids repeat a school year. Now we're talking about grade one, grade two, grade three. I received an email last week from a mother who said that she worked on having her son repeat grade one because she did not want him to fall behind. We're going to open up the phone lines in a few minutes. In fact, we'll do it now. 1-800-263-2428 is the number. 1-800-263-2428. I want to ask you this. When you graduated from high school, when you left high school, did you have the basic education that you needed to get out into the work world or get into a trades program or go to college, or go to, go to university, did you have what was required? Did you have enough training, teaching, understanding when you left high school? If you're a parent of a child who graduated from high school, are you satisfied that your child got the kind of education that you paid for? Because you pay taxes that you paid for in the public school system? Did your child get the kind of education that, that, that he or she deserved, that you paid for, that he and she needed? If you're a teacher, what's your sense of the whole question? You may remember a teacher by the name of Lyndon Dorval from Edmonton. Mr. Dorval gave a student who did not even complete an assignment, actually didn't hand it in, Mr. Dorval gave that student a zero and Mr. Dorval was disciplined by the school administration. It became so impossible for him 
that he quit teaching. He was on this show quite a few times, and we had some of his students on this program. They loved him as a teacher. So 1-800-263-2428 is the number. Did you find that the public school education you received set you up properly for the rest of your life, for the next phase of your life anyway, whether it was working, whether it was college, whether it was university? If you're a parent, share your thoughts. If you're a teacher, let's hear from you, 800-263-2428. Michael Zwagstra is back with us. And uh, uh, again, he's a Manitoba high school teacher, senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them is one of his books. The other one is uh, Sage on the Stage. Michael, is anything that I've said, what have I left out? Well, you, you've covered quite a bit there. I mean, that's, uh, those are some of the obvious challenges in, in school. And uh, I guess the key thing for me is also, um, do we have the do we have the right focus? Do we have enough focus on the academic basis? Do we have enough basics? Do we have enough focus on the content knowledge that all students need to acquire? Because that, of course, is directly linked to things like uh, reading comprehension. And uh, because there's only so much time in the school day, and it's very easy for these key things, these fundamental things, to be crowded out by all these other activities and such that could be worthwhile in and of themselves. But if, for example, if a kid doesn't learn how to read in school, they're not going to be able to learn a whole lot else. And so these these things really are absolutely fundamental. We have had educators, I'm sorry, uh, employers on this program, on this very issue, and and they would call in and say, I I recognized a, a certain talent, I recognized an ability. I saw there was a uh, a nucleus of ability in this young person who came and applied for a job, so I hired them. Then I realized I had to hire a remedial uh, assistance for them in whatever it happened to be, reading, writing, math, uh, whatever it was. And they felt it was sufficiently important to keep a young person who has real talent, they, they discern talent, on staff. And I say to myself, why wasn't it important enough for the school system to provide this young person with that nucleus of talent, with a fundamental education that required to go to the, do that job and not require remedial assistance? Am I being unfair? No, I think that's, I think that's pretty straightforward. And uh, uh, it was actually just earlier this year that the Ontario Human Rights Commission released a report. It was called the Right to Read Report. It was all about the way reading instruction is taught, is, is taught in Ontario. And the report looked at the evidence and what the research shows and found that the approach being used in Ontario, which is, which is called the three-queuing method, which is basically a fancy way of saying whole language where there's a lot of guessing involved, uh, as opposed to phonics where you're learning the letters and, and how they sound out and, and all that, because uh, the evidence is quite strongly in favor of uh, traditional phonics. By not using the most effective uh, approaches to reading instruction, it's, a lot of students are being left behind. And it was a, it's a big enough issue that the Human Rights Commission of Ontario uh, released an entire report on this. And uh, it's definitely an important issue. Does social promotion still go on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty common uh, for students to, to be moved from one grade to the next. And I would argue that, uh, that in many ways it's, it's a symptom of a much bigger problem because obviously... It's not ideal when students are passed to the next grade without the necessary skills, but it doesn't necessarily fix it to just simply hold them back. If the previous year didn't work for them, uh, another year of it, if it's not being done very well, doesn't work either. The bigger issue is how is the instruction being done, and uh, are we putting the necessary remedial uh, measures in place? And so uh, in many ways it really is just a symptom of what's, what's really the bigger problem. 
Let's take some calls, Michael, and see what we hear. Okay? Sounds good. All right. Kathy's in Mississauga. Kathy, how do you want to approach this issue? Well, I have two children in the elementary school system, and my my view is that the teachers are doing the best that they can with what they're given. When you have a classroom full of people who are excelling and don't need a lot of instruction, and then you have the kids who do need some a little bit more attention and instruction, and then there's another category of kids who've maybe been what I think passed along through the grades that maybe haven't uh, really deserved to pass because they haven't understood all the curriculum, but they're in this class now. And now they are the troublemaker group, and they make it more difficult for the other students and the teacher to get the lesson across to those children. And so I have one of my children in that class, very disruptive class, and she has a very difficult time learning. And I've had to enroll her in outside-of-school curriculum-based learning to catch up on what she can't understand during the class. And she can't understand it because of the disruption in the classroom. Yeah, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of um, there's swearing going on in the classroom, there's stealing from backpacks, there's kicking, there's pulling hair. There's a lot of things going on in the classroom. Michael, what do you say to this? Well, it's obviously a, uh, that's a serious problem. I mean, when you have uh, when you have disorder and disruption in a classroom, it's very hard for learning to take place. Uh, I do know that in general terms, that uh, it's very important to uh, for a teacher to take charge of the classroom right at the beginning of the year, and that means ideally taking a firm approach where the teacher is clearly in charge. Uh, if you don't set that tone right at the beginning, and you're sort of making everything about co-learning and we're going to co-write the rules together. It's a lot harder to tighten the reins later in the year than it, than it is to loosen later on once you've set the parameters. Advice, again. Well, Michael. What advice would you give Kathy at this point? I mean, she her, her daughter is taking is being tutored, and uh, and she can't learn in that environment. What what advice is there for the parent? Well, it's it's first of all, I mean, obviously talk to the teacher involved if if she has not done so already, which I suspect she probably has. And then you would move it up to the next level. You would talk to the principal, and you work your way up accordingly. You, it, because teachers and principals do want to make things work. And so my first bit of advice in every case is always talk to the teacher first and then talk to the principal if you're not able to resolve it at that level, and then, uh, and then go on from there. But uh, that is, uh, it's always good to make sure you've got good communication, even if you don't entirely agree with the way the teacher is teaching. The vast majority of teachers are wanting to do a good job. Okay, Kathy, what's your experience been? Uh, yeah, we have had the meeting with both the teacher and the principal together. And uh, and and, and it, I, gather, I, I gather nothing was resolved. Um, you know, they there are a lot of surprised looks on their faces, like "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was happening." I'm like, "Hmm, really? I don't know." Like the stories that my daughter comes home with, I find very difficult to to think that this is unknown going on in the classroom not from what you've described i don't see how that couldn't be known it it sounds to me like the teacher uh, is maybe being uh, abandoned by the school administration yeah maybe i don't know but have you uh, have you thought uh, because I've, I've heard this many times well several times anyway when we've talked about this on the air parents saying i had to take my child out of public school put my child in a private school and just absorb the financial hit yeah, well, that's something we've always kind of been teetering on. Like, my daughter has 
been having miserable days at school, coming like three out of five days of the week, asking if she's going to be changing schools. I'm going to be changing schools, right? I'm going to be changing schools, right? I can leave this school. Oh, so we we started with signing her up with like extra extra learning outside of the out of the school and seeing if that helps and doing stuff at home with her. Uh, but in hold the on, classroom. hold on, Kathy, hold, hold on. I, I don't want to lose you. I hope I don't lose you here. Let me put Kathy on hold. I'll do it. Don't you guys do it. I'll do it. And uh, because I'm going to get Stephen on, who's calling in from Calgary, and Stephen is a tutor. Stephen, uh, thanks for calling. Is, is Calgary's, is Kathy's story, does that sound fairly standard to you? Yes, yes, it does. I deal with a lot of people that, uh, students and ones that want to finish their, get their high school diploma and they have to uh, do math from uh, grade 10 to 12, from uh, basic algebra and uh, differential calculus, integral calculus, and uh, they're completely and totally lost. So I give them a set of questions uh, and see 50 of them and see how they do, and then I would know uh, what to attack. Uh, And then I would give them as many questions in their weakest uh, points, and uh, they end so, up... So the, que- the question I have is this. D- does that actually help the student in the classroom environment? Because Kathy's daughter is discouraged, clearly, maybe somewhat depressed about going back to the school. So does... Don't leave Kathy on, please. Don't, don't take her off. Leave her there. Um, it, I just wonder if that helps... Uh, Kathy, would, do you think it would help if uh, if, if your daughter were tutored? And you know, I mean, she sounds like a, a young lady who's who gets what's going on in the classroom, but just can't deal with the disruptions. Oh, she really enjoys where where I'm taking her for for math. Um, she goes twice a week for an hour each time, and they never both daughters never complain um about going they enjoy it they always like going and they have a very positive experience they have a they have a ratio of one instructor to four to four kids and it can be at any level they kind of spend 15 minutes um one-on-one time with them and i think that makes the biggest the biggest difference is more help in the classroom yeah absolutely I, I wish you, I wish you well. I wish your daughter well. We're going to follow up on this, but thank you so much for the call. Uh, Stephen, stay on the line in Calgary. Um, Michael, are, are students moved out of classrooms, classes ever? If it's an, an, an untenable situation for the student? Uh, there are, certainly there are, like, there's all types of things that, uh, that can be done. And it, I have to really emphasize here, it really depends on the local situation in terms of, you know, your administration, your school board, the general philosophy and such. It's it's not the same from school to school on this. Some some are much tighter than others. And then, of course, um, so you've got, you, it's, it's really not one size fits all on this. You have uh, some very different approaches uh, depending on where you happen yeah, to be. I, I get that. But let me just play devil's advocate here. If, if there's a student who's not being, uh, who's not getting ahead because of disruptive, and in this case, sounded like violent behavior in the classroom, that has to be addressed. The behavior has to be addressed. The student has to be protected and has to be done, done very quickly and uh, with authenticity. Oh, of course. I mean, it's, it, you, I mean I, I've been always been very clear on this, that you, 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 in order for learning to happen, you have to have an orderly classroom environment. It's very hard for any learning of any consequence to happen if it's a disorderly environment. This is, this is just basic and fundamental. And uh, so when that's not in place, it's very hard to learn anything. 
So I want to get another call on very quickly, but people doubt that anybody can graduate without being to, able to properly read their graduation certificate. It does happen. Yeah, it's obviously an extreme case, but unfortunately, I mean, it's, uh, this is the, and this is part of the challenge we were talking about last week about my report on standardized testing, and that when you move away from having the standardized testing, particularly at the grade 12 level, uh, it, uh, you're, you're, you're moving away from that objective measurement tool, which helps to sort of, uh, well, helps to, to catch these sort of things. And that's one of the reasons, among many, that I'm in favor of having you know, regular standardized testing, in addition to the teacher-created tests that take place in the classroom. Okay, and you can read Michael's report at the Fraser Institute website. We'll be talking with Professor Ken Coates before the end of the hour, Canada Research Chair in Regional Innovation of the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy at the University of Saskatchewan, the author of What to Consider if You're Considering University. Professor Coates will talk about this issue as well. The reason that I uh, brought up this uh, can't read the graduation certificate is one of my producers in the studio some years ago, I've talked about this on the air, he would write me notes about who the next caller was and what the caller wanted to say, and I couldn't read them. And I just said to him, I'm not trying to be unkind to you, but I have no idea what you're writing. And he said, I'm very sorry. I don't know how to spell. It goes back to my school years. I'd be given a spelling test, or we'd be given a spelling test. If we couldn't spell a word, they'd give us enough words until they dumbed them down far enough that we could spell them, and then they'd pass us. He said that on the air. Nancy's calling in from Vancouver. How are you, Nancy? And thank you for the call. I'm well, Roy. Thank you very much. I really wanted to comment and uh, that the teacher really does make all the difference. Uh, despite fighting with a vision impairment all my life, I was a really good student in school. I did well. I liked learning. I went to high school, and uh, somebody in grade 9 decided that I would do well in the Excel program in math. And they put me with a teacher. God bless his soul. He was the nicest man in the world, but he couldn't teach worth beans. And I went from excelling at math to almost failing that year. The only thing that saved my life was another teacher who ran a tutorial after school, and I would go see him two or three times a week, and he would explain it to me in ways I could understand, and I actually made it through that year. Unfortunately, that ended any aspirations of doing anything with math in my life after that. Um, I went, decided to go to university and go into education because I wanted to be a teacher, and I found that so many teachers were just in it for the money that I lost all hope, and they didn't believe a visually impaired student could teach. So my career took other plans. But, you know, that teacher makes all the difference in the world. And I encourage Kathy to find a teacher that will teach in the way her daughter can learn. What a great story, and it's so true. And we remember the good teachers for the rest of our lives. We remember their names. They will always be in our memories, and we will always be thankful for them. Nancy, thank you for the call. You're welcome, Roy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's uh, talk to one of uh, Michael's uh, colleagues. I, I don't know if you know each other, but you're in the same profession. Rick is a teacher in uh, in Victoria, British Columbia. Rick, thank you for the call. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I don't really know where to start because I've got a background. I ran my own business, and uh, I've put my own three kids through school, and I've been a hockey coach for 12 years. I've got a lot of background work with kids. I never came to teaching until I was 50, 
And uh, what I find after I've my own personal opinions aside, what I have found after about five years of teaching now is no matter what, everything starts at home. So uh, I never had an aspiration to be a teacher when I was younger, first of all. So it's not like I always had it in the back of my mind. But what I found is through all the parent-teacher interviews that I've had, when you see it, you have a student that's kind of on the edge, and very often, as soon as you put the parent, as soon as you meet the parent and have them one-on-one, aha, that's where it stems from. So I, I hear people say, oh, yeah, we should teach uh, balancing checkbooks in, in school. I go, yeah, that would be brilliant. That, I can, can you draft up the lesson plan for that? Because kids are really excited to learn about that. So we talk about engagement in the class. And if the, if the student at home is hearing from the parent, oh, yeah, those teachers just want the summers off. They, they're fat cats. Uh, they're Rick, Rick, hold on a second. How, how, do yeah. you, how do you connect? How do you energize the students? What method do you use? Oh, okay, I start just with putting desks in a circle instead of rows so that everybody faces me one-on-one so that we're, there's no phones. You, wanna, you want your phone? There's the door. That's great. Uh, I tell them from the first day, I will go through a wall for you, but I won't work harder than you will. And the lesson to that is something that they don't see because the responsibility of your own education relies within them. I cannot, I cannot force someone to think. I can only inspire them to want to learn. And, and, and I can't remember whose quote that is, but it's, it's so, so, but I can't do it if they have not had that that support at home that says, hey, go to get an education or you're not going to go further. Where I'm teaching right now... Rick, hold on on a sec. Let me get Michael into this with you because they're both teachers and I I gather you're both good. And and, and Rick, I have to tell you, in grade 10, we had it... Nobody liked history. I was the oddball. I liked history. I did everything that I wasn't supposed to do in school, but I loved history. And and our grade 10 teacher came in and he he pulled one of the maps out of the uh, ceiling, right? And he said, okay, so there's a country on the left here, a country on the right, and the two countries want to take over the country in the middle. You guys on the left side of the classroom, you are the country on the left. You on the right side of the classroom are the country on the right. Gather together, work out a plan on how you're going to take over the country in the middle, and we'll talk about it for the last 10 minutes of class. It went over so well. He started to have after-school classes, tutorials for history. Rick. Michael, you couldn't fit a body into the classroom. He was so good. Well, from from my point of view, that's it. That's engagement. That's getting kids to step outside the the traditional. I've got. I mean, socials is one of the. I teach socials, First Nations studies, art, uh, English, all the. I call them the flaky courses where you got to think, you got to tie your emotion in. And engagement is everything. Right now, let me engage Michael's Mikestra on this. Michael? Yeah, I think Rick has made some good points here. I guess the the one uh, caveat that I would say is that, uh, of course, it's true that uh, a student's home environment has a, ma- has a major impact on them. How, how could it not? Uh, at the end of the day, as a teacher, I don't have control over the home environment. I mean, I teach the kids. We teach the kids that we have. And so my focus in terms of what I comment on and write about is what do I do in the classroom? What can we as teachers do? And uh, so regardless of what the home environment is, because some students have come from more advantaged situations than others, but we need to focus on the variables that we can control. And the variable I can control is what do I do as a teacher? 
And so that's uh, that's what I choose to focus on. Okay, I have time, Brian. Thank you for the or Rick. Thank you for the call. I have time for one more call here in Winnipeg. Brian is a former teacher. Brian, what's the uh, the point you want to make here? Uh, hello, Roy. Uh, thank you very much. A couple things. Number one, um, you know, in in terms of the the individual. Well, first of all, I, I taught high school for thirty one years, and you were talking about the individual who could not read his uh, graduation certificate. I can honestly say that in 31 years, I did not encounter a single student graduating from a grade 12 class who could not read or write. So I think we're, we're talking about an extreme case here. And it's like taking, you know, somebody's been vaccinated three times for COVID, they get COVID and they still die. Well, they are the exception to the rule. Yeah, but it, was, it wasn't all that unusual that I would hear from a student who is functionally illiterate and would be happy to, to, to say that because they had uh, changed their own life and taken the courses required and done what they needed to do despite uh, not being educated as they should have been. Okay, now let me, I try, I try, to, be, I try to be objective. So let me come down on the other side. Um, I have seen cases where, well, let's, let's face it, it's top-down. Organizations are top-down. So if the superintendent of the school division says, nobody is going to fail, well, that's passed on to the school administrator. Nobody is going to fail. Yeah. And that's passed on to the teacher. Nobody is going to fail. And even though teachers know that this student or that student should not progress, they should be held back, not as punishment because it, it's in their best interests. It's not going to happen because it's top down. Everything top down. Top down. down. Brian, I appreciate the call. Michael, we have about 45 seconds. Do you want to just uh, tie this up for us? Well, it's uh, it's obviously there's a lot of things to, uh, to consider here. A lot of things have been said. I mean, at the end of the day, I would encourage any parent, obviously, talk to the talk to the teacher, talk to the principal. That's always the first recourse. And uh, as a teacher myself, the important thing is what do I do in stu- with, with students in the classroom? I mean, my, my approach to teaching is more, more on the traditional side of the spectrum where I think it's important for the teacher to be clearly in charge and for the curriculum to have substantial content in it so that way students learn a lot of facts and, and have a lot of things in their memory because that will serve them well later in life. And so I don't presume to say what every single teacher should do in every circumstance, but as far as myself, that is certainly those types of things I try to focus on. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.